Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Is this your post Red Wings just lost the Arizona Coyotes look? Sullen hunched over. Yes. <laughs> I feel like there were a lot of promises made on this podcast of uh, various forms of self-deprecation if the Red Wings ended up losing to the Yotes. I thought we were just agreed we were going to fold the franchise. I I would never make those promises because I understand what the hockey gods do to you when you say those things. But there was conversations about the window. There was conversations of I'll never say another word again. Brad, you can make a lot of people happy with that. I don't recall saying that. <laughs> we have nine more days. Can we get through November without having to do a prospect profile? <laughs> <laughs> Will we break our own streak? Ah, <laughs> uh, the, the November streak that everyone's fixated on. The no prospect profile November. Yes, the exactly. Cl- the classic. Yeah, oh yeah, I think we'll make it through November. It'll be a while yet. Have you looked at the Coyotes' as, um, points percentage? I was the one, I think I talked about that last week. Yeah, I, I looked at it last night after Detroit lost to them, and I was like, woof, yeah. You know, that was rough. Losing to the Yotes was rough, but that's uh, that's a version of the Red Wings that we saw within the last couple of years that I hope doesn't come back anytime soon. I think the Arizona Coyotes before last night were on pace for like 18 points. <laughs> 18 <laughs> total, <points>. total. <laughs> they st- they're still working with a 222 points percentage. Yeah, that's not great, I would say. <laughs> they have eight points. And two, well, I mean, two came from the Red Wings, so there's only so much I can How say. How many goals scored do they have? Arizona has scored the same as McDavid and Dreisel. That was what I was going to say. I think they have 32 goals. And the Islanders actually only have 31. Oh, my what? God. Yeah. Yeah. The Islanders, who are below 500, only have 31 goals. Oh, my God. They've also played like what 15 road games in a row because their arena's not ready yeah yeah <laughs> they I, I think it was like a 13 road games to start the season which is garbage but i would rather do that though than and then you just don't have to travel for like a month that's actually um if anyone's gonna offer decent odds on the islanders right now to win the division now if you believe it's gonna happen now would be the time to get in yeah while they're 27th in the league Absolutely. Yeah, that's probably some good money. We'll do some odds talk later. Anyways, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk about the Red Wings and all of the wonderful success they've had over the past couple weeks. I'm Ryan Hanna. Uh, Trying to ignore the four-game losing streak, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, uh, it's not going to be all doom and gloom. Yes, we are going to be talking about the Red Wings, uh, the (laughs) conclusion to their road trip uh, that ended in a... OT loss against Arizona, which was their only point of the road trip. Uh, Evan and I had a chat with a recurring guest, Micah McCurdy of Hockey Viz, better known as, well, not better known, otherwise known as uh, Ineffective Math on Twitter. Um, And it's a really good conversation on hockey analytics that uh, a lot of you have been asking for. So that's our first little dip in those waters in a little while. So uh, looking forward to you all hearing that interview. Uh, And then we are going to be doing some we're going to be getting back into the business of how can Ryan and Brad make bad betting calls and Evan somehow ending up right with all of this. Yes. Yeah. We're going to be doing some, some betting odds discussions before jumping into overtime. Uh, before that, we're recording this on Sunday night. 
one day before the celebrity roast of Brett Hall and benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to learn more. Uh, you can watch it on the website or on Bally Sports Detroit. Uh, again, that's happening Monday, November 22nd. Uh, be sure to check that out. Be sure to check out the silent auction that's going on. Um, really, really fantastic items on there. They stacked that thing. There is so much to bid on. That's actually... I have a couple sneaky bids and I'm hoping to come through. But uh, the celebrity roast of, Ble- of Brett Hull... Um, I think you said, Evan, he's probably one of the most roastable NHL legends. I don't even know where you'd start. <laughs> it's going to be a four four hours long. It's going to be Emmy nominated. Oh, my God. Yeah. They had Hans Zimmer do the soundtrack. This is where you can tell where either people are good. Like, someone's got to set the tone early. Yeah. In roast. Like, if you come out and just throw softballs, everyone else behind you is going to be like, oh, I thought, like, I thought this was a roast. I think it's an advantage because this year they they had to do it virtual again, obviously, with everything going on. Um, and so everyone's just kind of doing their thing independently. So they don't have to worry about the tone of everyone, anyone else. Well, that's good because roasts are meant to be scorched earth. Yeah. You know who I think would be the best person to roast? Brett Hall. Brett Hall. Yeah. He would not hold back. <laughs> the guy's just there for a good time. Uh, anyways, be sure to check that out. Uh, and of course, supports an incredible cause in the Jamie Daniels Foundation. By the way, um, we're currently doing a tally on what everyone raised for the Jamie Daniels Foundation through Wings Money on the Board, that special one-off event that we had for the November 13th game. Uh, the draw for giveaway prizes is coming soon, but so far, you've surpassed $5,000. And donations just off one night alone and we're not even done counting everyone's donations and pledges so uh, if you made a pledge for that game and you haven't sent us the uh, the proof of your donation yet be sure to do that so we can get you in the tally all right so dating back to november 2nd we're going to get into red wings hockey now dating back to november 2nd which was the montreal game the detroit red wings have played three seven 11 games in 19 days which is quite a bit of hockey uh going back to november 15th they've had four games all on the road starting with columbus a 5-3 loss the next day was dallas a 5-2 loss and the 18th was vegas another 5-2 loss and then last night arizona a 2-1 overtime loss the red wings have played a lot of hockey They've not had a lot of practice. A four-game road trip isn't easy. And even when you're at home and you're playing every other day, four games on, three days off, they got to be a little bit toasted right now. How much does that factor into the poor play we've re- we've seen recently? A little bit. Um, it'd be naive to say it doesn't matter at all. I mean, I just came off a of back-to-back today, and I'm wiped today, but I'm old as shit, so I have an excuse they don't. Um Ever comparable. Brad's yeah. Yeah. Brad's hawking the Detroit yeah. Red Wings. <laughs> I'm old as shit and I'm dead. So um it you can tell that they've really scaled back and have been playing more conservatively because it's easier to maintain energy. Now, whether or not that would have happened anyway, or if that was directly because of the schedule, we'll never know. And if it is directly because of the schedule, you can see the logic there. Um it's not working, so you would hope they would switch it up. But, uh, yeah, it's tough, um, especially on the big guys who have been carrying 
the weight, the Heronics, the Siders, the Raymonds, the Larkins, the Bertuzzi's. Those guys have been playing big minutes, playing big roles. Because quite honestly, throughout this road trip, they have had barely any help from down the lineup. So it, it is what it is. And uh, should that matter when critiquing the team? No, because every team in the league goes through at least one stretch like this a year. Um, but yeah, it it sucks when you get to it. There are certain elements to the Red Wings game that I saw. I don't want to say creep back in. It's just when you have extenuating circumstances leaning on the team, I find that it exposes those things that would otherwise be hidden by like the excitement of Lucas Raymond or Dylan Larkin on the top line carry the team or whatever goal he is carries them through three periods. But and these like that tough road trip, those four games, like parking the bus in the third period, completely like shutting down any kind of depth that would have come from lower in the lineup. Uh, Grice had a bad game and, you know, the Red Wings of last year and, and previous would immediately fall apart if their goalie wasn't immediately saving their asses. So I don't know. I'm not ringing alarm bells. I think there was a fairly, it's a, it's fair to be upset to to watch your team. That's supposed to be turning the corner on the rebuild, lose to the this year's Arizona coyotes. Like that's, <laughs> that's pretty shitty. But the last game of that stretch, you know, 19 games in 11 days, all the elements were there for that to happen. Uh, it's not an excuse. They definitely can't be doing the things that they did when they lost to Arizona. You know, conversation about that potential goalie interference on Alex Ndelkovic's side, uh, it shouldn't even have been there. There should have been more to that game besides one goal against pro- the worst team in the league. But I don't know. I- I'm not hitting the panic button. It's these are the growing pains. You know, we say we're the the Red Wings are coming out of the rebuild. They're turning the corner. We are now looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. Sure. You still got to travel the path and that's going to come with the ebbs and flows. So do the Red Wings need to change absolutely nothing and just kind of go with the flow? No, of course you need to improve and you need to work on that. And that happens at the player level and the coaching level and everything. Uh, Evan, you especially, I think are severely slacking. So you need to make the difference in those games. But other than, other than that, this is we're going to see this throughout the season. The Red Wings are still not a playoff team on paper or right now by product. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of what you said makes sense, but a couple things are outliers that I don't think we can chalk up to it yet. Because the the as you call it, parking the bus in the third period. This is not a problem unique to this season, and this problem has been happening for years. Well, that's what I said, though. It's it's something that kind of, but like. That's got to be gone by now. That that the the inconsistent performances, like having a strong second half against Dallas or having a good first period against Vegas, and that you can chalk up to the schedule. That you can talk up chalk up to. Okay, yeah, you're a little mentally worn. You're a little physically worn. But the actual game plan of parking the bus in the third period when you have a one or a two goal lead is not new, not acceptable under any circumstance because it has bit them in the ass so many times mm-hmm. that it it's still remarkable that they do this and. You know, like it's one thing if you're like running an aggressive four check or a, or a hyper offensive system and, you know, you get to the last three, four, five minutes of a game in a one or two goal game and you're like, all right, now we're in the point where we can't scale. Like we got to really play it safe and we can't like, you know, give up odd man rushes. Fine. If it's for like the last few minutes of a game. Absolutely. I get it. No problem. Dump a chase, kill the clock because then you have enough time where you can reasonably on just 
three or four successful dumps kill a good chunk of the clock. So, and when you only have a few minutes, that's relevant. Not the entire third period, like the Red Wings so often do, because you can't kill 20 minutes of clock in the NHL successfully. I can understand the rationale to wanting to do it, but I'm firmly with you, Brad. I don't agree with it because what has happened more often than not, the Red Wings park the bus. They're not exactly stacked defensively. So truly all parking the bus does is letting them in the front door. The other team gets quality chances and too many goals are too many leads are swept away. So at that point, why not go balls to the wall, take the risk and push on offense? You don't have to go like five man press <laughs> in on the, the four check. But at the same time, you don't completely allow them uh, access to every zone exit or, or allow them to walk through the neutral zone just to make sure you're standing there like stiff armed and, and hoping and praying that you block a shot or the goalie saves it. Try to stop that in the neutral zone. Keep the puck in their zone. They they can't shoot if the puck is on your stick. So that's something that the Red Wings did quite well. And, and we talked about that last episode, I think. When the Red Wings were really good, they were a possession team. And I that's not the only way to play good offensive hockey. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I would like to see them. It's not giving up. I don't think the coaching staff is like, all right, let's give up this lead. What they're saying is let's just hold them off and try to sneak away with this, with this, these two points with the one goal lead. But you know, the sample size is there and it's how four or five seasons long now too often the lead goes away. So yeah, that's something where I'm going to agree with you, Brad. It's that's a strategy thing. Is it going to fail if you try to press on offense? Yeah, absolutely. Those are the growing pains, but you got to try it. Well, just try anything because, you know, if the Red Wings are running a, an aggressive 2-1-2 forecheck through the first two periods and they get a two-goal lead and they want to switch it to a 1-2-2, you can do that and still produce, right? Like, tell your guys, hey, we're running a 1-2-2 now in the hopes of forcing turnovers. And when you make that, get that neutral zone turnover and catch the other team on their heels, go. Mm-hmm. Like, that shouldn't be a chip back into the zone. That should be, a, all right, we got it press and then if the the counterattack doesn't work all right fall back into the one two two or even if you're running a cycle make sure you're keeping the third forward high in the offensive zone you can be successful offensively doing that as long as you're pressing with what you're running the Red Wings don't do that if Blasha wanted to go to a one two two or a two three in the third period you can do that as long as you are still pressing when you like the whole point of clogging the neutral zone is to force a turnover yeah. so when you force the turnover use it yeah don't just give it right back because when offense and hockey comes 99 out of 100 times because someone on defense made a mistake now that could be because they just had a brain fart or because you force them to make a mistake turnovers are the exact picture perfect example of you force them to make a mistake capitalize and they don't do that the red wings aren't a great team relative to league standards at forcing turnovers but when they do they do nothing with it they have to be last in the nhl of oh look i now have this puck in the neutral zone with three of their players behind me okay back into the corner let them regroup like it's it's maddening when it happens and so i'm not even opposed to blashill switching his system because the red wings do run an effective two on two a lot Mm -hmm. and it's it's a hyper-aggressive forecheck and it's good and when the Red Wings do it it works but yeah I can understand the logic and hey yeah 
when you screw that up, there is a chance for some odd mans, but that doesn't mean pack it in completely. If you want to go to something else, fine. Just, you know, press. Small bright spot. Larkin's finish was fantastic that game. That was just like a classic Larkin bearing a good opportunity. At points, it seemed like he was just trying to will the team to a win. I've never seen three players run into each other, all <laughs> run into each other. I've seen two. Yeah. But never three. Cue the so Benny last Hill night music. was a first. You haven't spent enough time in beer league yet, my friend. Oh, I have. <laughs> oh, I have. <laughs> Fortunately, so. <laughs> the instinctual look down to the gut yeah, is something yeah. that we've all picked up over uh, over COVID. <laughs> um, I've had I've had to wear a suit like four consecutive days this past week. Uh, one of them was a wedding. No, yeah, it was a wedding where this happened, and someone came up to me. They're like. <laughs> They didn't mean to let this through their voice, but they're like, Ryan, your suit's like, um, and it was almost a compliment, but then they went form fitting. And I went, yeah, look, the form has changed over the past year and a half, buddy. I have to, I didn't get the chance. Okay. So <laughs> just give me a break, but thank you for that. Um, the Alex Nedeljkovic goaltender interference that wasn't by Phil Kessel. So in the end, the, there was no goaltender interference ruled. I'm I'm iffy on that one. I'm trying to look at it as, okay, if that happened to the Red Wings and they called that goaltender interference, I'd be pissed off. But can you really argue that Kessel stick didn't move Nedeljkovic at all? It's Phil Kessel. He does nothing wrong. No, he's, he's never done he's anything wrong in his life. How dare you accuse him of anything? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen I've seen that call. I was frustrated because not because, you know, the ruling went against Detroit. That that's a given, of course, but um, more just the inconsistency, which, believe it or not, still exists with goaltender interference. I don't know. Which way would you guys have ruled on it? So, to circle back to your point before I give my opinion, when did that take place? Overturned. And you're surprised it wasn't overturned? No, not surprised, but... They don't... They don't go against the call on the ice in big moments like that. If that's in the, I I would not be shocked if we had a different result if that happened ten minutes into the first period. Okay, I see the point that you're getting at there. Yeah, and I don't I don't like it. I agree with the inconsistency. If I was a Coyotes fan and that got overturned, yeah, I'd be mad. So looking at it from that perspective, I can't be that mad the other way. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So it's a 50-50 call. I hate that it's a 50-50 call. You know, my my stance on goalie interference is very well established. So I'm not going to get into that. So You're very close to abolish goalie interference. Just <laughs> drill the guy if you want to. <laughs> if we can get rid of the reviews, please. But I don't like it because it screwed Detroit, but whatever. I, I'm fine with it. I don't again, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like it's okay. Here's the thing. I'm not going to get into a whole big thing because the real answer is Detroit should never have been in a situation where, yeah, what's the old UFC uh, phrasing? Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like you're, you're playing in overtime against the Arizona Coyotes. You've already lost or messed something up this season. If you're in overtime against the Arizona Coyotes. There's a couple angles of this, though, where I'm like, oh, he definitely moved him. And then there's a couple angles where I'm like, eh, yes, I I do hate game management by the refs. I do hate, you know, the refs taking the context of the situation sometimes. 
But also sometimes I want the refs to take the context of the situation and you don't want to bury offense in this league. So I, I, I see what you're saying. And if it, what really ultimately decided it for me was, yeah, if that was the Red Wings and they scored in overtime and that's how it got overruled and you're not 100% certain that it wasn't a good goal, then I would be livid. This would be a different segment. I, I generally err on the side of 50-50 call, tie goes to the offense. That's how it should be in every sport in any situation like that. You want to create offense, well, if it's close – Air on the side of offense. That's a Brad Crisco blanket rule classic. <laughs> I can just see the recipe for disaster there. Oh, no, I know. It's not how it should be called. <laughs> and it's not how the rules should be written. But seeing how generally vague this particular one happens to be. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. So uh, if you want to know when the Red Wings started playing poorly, it's when we did the partially tongue-in-cheek commentary on where they were in the standings. And we said um, we'd, we'd look at where they were at like two weeks past Thanksgiving to see if they were actually a playoff contender. And we expected them that expected that it wouldn't be the case because really in terms of points percentage, they weren't there before. But they had that divisional seed because they were, you know, leading in games played. Yeah, this little stretch of hockey that has Detroit 4-5-1 and one in their last 10 is not great. That The stretch you're going to go to 10 games and the stretch isn't – they're just – Oh, three and one in the last four. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just looking even beyond the the away games, the, or the road trip. It is, I think, not the play. I think the Red Wings can could have played a lot better at certain points over the last little while, but the product and the results, or I should say, the points and standings and the results, I think that's a lot more of indicative of where this team's natural resting state is at. They have the capacity to overperform it. And they have the capacity to do even worse on bad nights. But I think average, yeah. They're on the outside looking in at a playoff spot right now. Um, they have six more games played than Boston, five more than Columbus, three more than Pittsburgh. Um, it's League leaders in something, at least. Four more than Buffalo and six more than the Islanders. And all those teams are within. The Islanders are within seven points and the rest of them are within three at most. Actually, Boston, Columbus and Pittsburgh are only a point behind. This is all a long way of saying their points percentage has them fourth last in the conference. About where the Red Wings would be as we talked at the beginning of the season. Still. That doesn't mean that uh, you hope this kind of play continues or that it's really like good or acceptable, but you're go you, we are going to see this throughout the season and and that's okay because this isn't a Stanley Cup year. You know who had a really good week last week? Who? Shane Wright. <laughs> yeah, he did. Just throwing that out there. No, no conversation to be had. Just, a, just a fun fact. I actually don't want to talk about Shane Wright at all because I'm all in on people saying, oh, maybe he shouldn't be the first overall pick, and then maybe he falls. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't believe that's a narrative right now, but, oh, it's fine. Yeah, but even... And I love how, like, the second that narrative started, like, the, the first article went up about it or whatever, and then he rattled off eight points in his next three games. Or <laughs> he guy didn't play didn't play organized hockey for, what was it, a year and something? Yeah. Oh, he had a slow start? Shocking. Why don't you give a comparison to when you don't play for a year, Brad? What happens to your game? It's like a one-to-one translation. Oh, yeah. I, it's a one-to-one translation, but like replace that year with like three days, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> What's the longest you've gone without being on the ice in the past five years? Uh, the last lockdown. It was just a hair under three months. You were antsy. You were I twitching. was losing my goddamn mind. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, who knows? Maybe Shane Wright will fall past you in the draft. An over, 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 Sixteen times passed over, like it's gonna be my year soon. Brad does log in for the seventh round every day. Think, come on, come on, just in case. Somewhat like, are the Red Wings making the meme pick this year? <laughs> Buffalo once drafted a guy that didn't exist out of Japan. If that can happen, you can get drafted. Exactly. Brad. Yeah. Exactly. It'll be uh, it'll be like my dreams of getting an ace before Evan does in golf. Mm. I'll get the meme draft pick before. Honestly, I think my odds of getting drafted are higher than that. Oh. Is that an insult to me or Evan? That's a compliment to Evan and an insult to you. Well, you know what? (laughs) That's saying he's a half-decent, competent golfer, and I could see him getting an ace. And that's saying that, yeah, no, you got no chance. Listen, you're right, and I resent you for it. (laughs) Okay, Uh, let's jump into this interview we had with uh, Mike McCurdy. We've wanted to do a little bit more of this recently, and and now that... um, Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider have given us a minute of breathing room here. Uh, we're going to jump into what will be the first and many, many conversations about hockey analytics, how they're applied to the game, how the Red Wings use them, how the NHL uses them, what's good, what's bad, what's misunderstood, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're hoping to do like fundamentals and we're hoping to get a little bit more in depth. So uh, Evan and I today talked to Micah McCurdy of HockeyViz. Uh, and just a quick note before you jump in, uh, the pains of remote interviewing is that sometimes the audio is a little bit... Um, difficult to work with so uh we did our best with it so apologies for the less than stellar audio in the interview but we hope that you enjoy our conversation with micah mccurdy micah mccurdy nonetheless well it's been literal years uh but finally we are able to have micah mccurdy or you might know him uh, better as ineffective math back on the podcast uh, micah is the brains behind the wonderful tool hockey viz uh, which produces excellent, excellent um, uh, outputs that are beautiful to look at, uh, sometimes a little suggestive, intentional or otherwise. But Micah, thank you so much for joining us again on the show. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Did uh, I catch you off guard by just jumping right into the suggestive uh, charts? Because, you know, we weren't going to skip past that. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't make them suggestive. Although now that I've discovered that people enjoy the extra sideline, you know, it's too, uh, too tempting to resist. So you got to give the people what they want is one of my mottos in life. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the theme of this episode because people have been clamoring, uh, for quite some time for us to jump back into a, um, what is hockey analytics? And when you guys are talking about this, are you making it up? Uh, or is there actually some substance behind it? And uh, we personally are making it up. And uh, in the interest of our listeners, we thought we'd bring in a pro. So um, I hope you're uh, excited to get back into that space as we did a few years ago. Absolutely. All right. So first, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at HockeyViz and, and how it works in the world of an- hockey analytics? So HockeyViz grew out of me trying to understand the sport for myself. I didn't I turned it into a business, but I didn't launch it as a business. I didn't think to myself, oh, I'm going to market this to other people. I I wanted to figure out, I wanted to gather in the data that I needed to be able to figure stuff out. And so, and the reason why it's all pictures is because I understand numbers very poorly and I don't care for tables and my eyes kind of glaze over when I see a lot of numbers. I deal well with numbers just because it's math, because you have to for math. But what I really like is pictures. And so I started making a lot of pictures. And I, as a question of discipline, made sure to do it for every team in the league. 
at the time when I started things, I was I was a real hardcore Senators fan in Australia, and I was working really hard on on trying to figure out trying to figure out the what was going on with the Senators. And so, but I thought, you know, if I just do this for one team, I'm going to get fooled. So I'm going to do it for all of the teams. And once I started doing that, I started sharing it by instinct, and then people kind of latched onto it. But but all of it at its core is just I want to figure something out. I want to see something, and I want to see what the data is before I start making any real conclusions on it. So you talk about uh, how you you produce these models and and uh, generate the outputs for all teams. Um, correct me if I'm mistaken, but you've worked with multiple NHL teams in the past, right? Yeah, they they're understandably cagey about how much of the details of that I tell people. Um, sometimes I like to right. joke that they all paid extra for the privilege of, of me not telling people, which is kind of, I mean, slightly misleading. Like they paid it, whatever they paid, but they all insist on, on more or less complete secrecy. Uh, I don't currently work for any NHL teams, uh, at least not seriously. And one of the reasons why is that that particular brand of secrecy, um, really rubs me the wrong way. I, um, I like to, to, Everything I can figure out, I like to share with whoever will listen. You know, if you if you do follow my account, you'll know that I'm prone to just posting incredible quantities of here. I have something that I would half done, and I you know make a rod for my back where people say, "Why is it only half done? Why is it not completely done?" And the real answer is because I can't help myself from posting it, even though it's only half done. And and so that like the I, I've enjoyed working for NHL teams. I've especially enjoyed the money that they paid me, which has kept the website alive. You know, there it's a. It works reasonably well financially now, but it was a dicey business for a number of years. And, and so a lot of freelance work, some of it for teams, some of it for agents, some of it for other third parties, you know, has, has kept the whole affair afloat. Um, but teams I find are actually less interested in the kind of broad stuff that the general public is. Like a lot of people will look at, at, you know, this is just the the distribution of shot results for a whole bunch of teams and go, oh, that's interesting. Hey, look, that one's different from that one. And they'll like take it, you know, like you would a storybook and just like dig into it. Whereas teams are much more focused, like you'd expect, because, you know, they've got a job to do. They're not just in it to understand it. They want to win. And so something can be fun and can look cool. And they say, well, that's great. We don't care. You know, what's next? What's the next edge? And it's a very different, um, you know, even if the stuff is the same, it's quite a different approach. So I'm going to put out a statement and you tell me whether uh, you agree or it's a little off. From the last time we spoke until now, I feel like the general public conversation has, I mean, for the most part, evolved past. Is analytics good or bad? And it is now um, what mix of analytics versus, you know, actually observing the game or sorry, I shouldn't say versus because they're, they're not antagonistic to each, towards each other, but um, you know, looking at the numbers and actually watching the game uh, creates a healthy understanding of, of what's actually happening on the ice. Do you feel like we've made decent progress in that respect? Or do you think there's still a, a pretty big misunderstanding of what hockey analytics really are? Uh, I think both are true. I think primarily the optimistic way you framed it in the first place, that things are getting much, much better. I think that's the sort of dominant truth, if you like. But sometimes I like to think of of the way analytics works, the way anything new and disruptive works in terms of understanding a new field is in a, a sense of a sort of shockwave, for lack of a better metaphor, where where the kind of, you know, you have people who are working on stuff who are figuring stuff out. And once you get a little bit of traction, then it expands from from there. And there's 
there's pushback that comes right away where people in your immediate circle are like, what are you talking about? This is new and I don't understand it and it's weird and wrong, etc. But that those conversations, those like strictly antagonistic conversations continue at a different level all the time as the, as the new ideas percolate further out. And so, you know, as you get more followers, as you get more, like as you win, for lack of a better phrase, you still have to fight those old fights again with new people. But you have to realize also that you're not fighting those old fights with the same old people, that a ton of people are convinced that they're on your side, that they're, you know, that they're looking at the game in the way that you are, even if they're not doing it exactly the way you're doing it, you know, you've, you have to see that those changes have actually happened. And I think primarily they have, you know, and there's still like interesting disagreements where, you know, we can go round and round about precisely which games of Carter Hearts are we going to look at to decide how good Carter Hart is as a goalie and what's misleading and what's true and what's, you know, how to weight that and how you should, you know, look at how you should evaluate what you're seeing with your eyes and how you should evaluate what you're seeing with stats and which stats and which games and like that. You know, those arguments are never, ever going away. But I don't think the like fundamental argument about, you know, can we actually get insight with data? I don't think that argument is ever going to come back. I think that one is settled and dead. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask while well, we're sort of on the topic of all the various advanced uh, statistics is um, like we've got a ton of new listeners and there's a lot of people who are like, all right, I'm going to now dabble into the advanced hockey analytic world. When some someone opens a site like yours, they're bombarded with a ton of information immediately. Like what are the advanced analytics 101 analytics that they should be looking at to at least try and begin to digest <laughs> some of this information? So the number one thing is five on five shots. That's the, like the five on five is the foundation of the game. And, you know, it's not for nothing that special teams are called special teams. And, and like, can you create shots and do you allow shots are the, the fundamental, like the really basic part of the game, both like from any perspective, but that's especially the perspective that we're taking from you know, when you're saying, okay, let's do analytics, you know, what is it you're analyzing? What you're really analyzing is shots. And then after all of the other questions kind of flow on from that, like, well, you know, are the shots good shots? And now already you're into an expected goals model, like line of thinking, you know, that's the nerdy take on that. But the, the basic question is, you know, I want, I don't just want shots. I want good shots. Well, what makes a shot good? You know, and is my team getting those shots? And so one of the things that I try to do right away is make it so that the big things up at the top, and you're right, there's a, there's a bombardment of stuff, you know, it's a huge amount of information. The, but one of the things I try to do is make it so that the thing that you see first off the hop is always shots. Where does my team get shots? Do they get a lot of them? And from there, you can go into the subtle stuff like, why doesn't my team get more shots from this spot? Oh, it's, is it because their in zone play is bad? Is it because their uh, zone entry strategy is bad? Is it because they have terrible defensive players and so they're stuck in their own zone instead? You know, you, as soon as you get into that, you know, then you can f go into all these follow up questions, but fundamentally you want to start from shots. I'm just looking at Detroit's, um, five on five offense last year versus this year and it's just astonishing we were talking to prashant either ire over as the season was evolving and obviously with the red wings 
having a healthy Tyler Bertuzzi, adding Lucas Raymond, uh, Moritz Sider contributing from the back end. They went from a negative fifth, negative 16% in terms of five on five offense via the hockey viz output last season. And they're currently operating at a positive eight, I believe. Is yeah. that 24% differential as substantial as it seems uh, to our eyes watching the game? That's enormous. And, and part of why, part of why I take this visual approach is that I can, I can show you that difference visually more easily than I can communicate to you that, oh, you know, minus 16% less than league average, all the way up to plus 8% more than league average. You know, I can just tell you, oh, that's a big deal. But also I can make the coloring of the way that I draw those graphs so that you look at that and go, geez, that looks some different. And which is what I want. Of course, that's the whole point. And, and the, the defense, you wouldn't say the defense is good, but the, but the, in fact, it's weakened slightly, but the difference there is so much smaller that the, the total improvement is so large. And, you know, and you can see that obviously on the ice when you're watching the Red Wings this year compared to last year, that, that especially in offense, it's dramatically better. One thing uh, I've used your, well, I use HockeyViz essentially every day and I'm not just shilling here. Like I genuinely do. Um, but one thing that I've, I've really kind of been digging into is Philip Zadina's output and how he kind of maps out. There's a little bit of a debate growing within Red Wings fandom because Philip Zadina, you know, had the very famous comment when he was drafted, you know, I'm going to fill their net with pucks, uh, and has coincidentally done everything in the game of hockey really well, except for filling nets with pucks. <laughs> and, uh, I was thinking like, am I being biased? Am I just trying to be a Philip Zidane apologist? Uh, but looking into, you know, his output via hockey viz, he does have really, really strong positive impacts uh, offensively and even defensively, but his, you know, conversion just isn't there. How much of that based on what the numbers tell you is through luck and how much of that is based on his shooting talent right now? I, so I, I try to isolate that out in the first place. I mean, it's shooting talent. As soon as you get to shooting talent, you know, it's, it's vital, but, and some guys definitely have it and some guys definitely don't, but it fluctuates so much because an individual player can only take so many shots, even if they take as many shots as they, as they possibly can. They're still, you know, if you take 10 in a game, that's, that's a monster, monster night for you personally, just to be able to requires a certain level of dominance. And so, you know, it takes a long time to accumulate the number of shots that you would really like to be able to judge somebody. Um, Zadina did have that one year where in, in 1920, where he was, uh, I mean, he didn't play that much. Nobody played that much. And, and he looked momentarily to be an above average finisher, but since then has looked bad or even worse. And so it's starting to look to me, you know, not like dire, but I don't see, I don't see anything that suggests that he's a, a real plus finishing talent, just the opposite from what I can see, even after you account for luck, you know, as, as best as I can. Can you explain to me what, so I'm under the Zadina finishing and I'm looking at the all situations chart. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain to me what likelihood of a goal relative to league expected means? So the way that I try to quantify shooting, and this is, and there's, there's some serious, you know, I won't go talk your ear off, but there's some legitimate 
differences of opinion about what it is, like what you should put where. Even if we had all the data we wanted, even if we had all of the technical ability, even if everybody believed we were doing it all exactly right, you know, you still have to put certain things in certain bins and not in others. It's to be clear about what it is you're measuring. So I like to think about the instant that somebody decides to take a shot. To me, that's the, the dividing line between what you're talking between if you're talking about offense or if you're talking about finishing. So once you've decided that you're going to take a shot, now the offense is done. You've created whatever offense you're going to make. And now you have something that's at its core, a duel between the person who's decided to shoot and the goalie who has to somehow try to make it not go in the net. And most obviously by, you know, touching it, but but also just by covering all the available space so that the guy has nothing to shoot at so that he cannot help but put it into your equipment or wide. Um, and so I try to to understand what comes after the choice to make the shot as part of shooting talent and then what comes before the choice to make the shot as team talent, as offensive talent. What did the team collectively generate? And there's a certain amount of trust there that guys aren't just completely wasting shots. You know, you're not going to like there are players who who take shots and I'm sure their teammates are saying, you know, why did you do that? That was really bad. That was just a turnover. You just given up the puck for no good reason. But a lot of other guys, and, and of course that's, that's together in the conversation about, well, I took that shot because I'm a great shooter and I can finish that shot four times out of 10 I, or so I think. And so once you have an idea of what makes a shot like another shot. So so-and-so has taken a shot from this particular location. He's on his forehand the it's five on five. So that means there's probably going to be more guys back, more guys in between him and the net than if it's five on four, you know, it's not on the rush. So it's not going to have any movement. It's not a rebound. So it's not going to, you know, once you include all of those details about the things that happened earlier, then you can say, well, we've seen a lot of shots that look like that pattern. And so you're not really talking about the shot itself. You're talking about a pattern of shots that matches the shot that you're looking at. So there's always something, there's always an element of, of what you're not including. You know, you're not including the little details that like, oh, it's Tuesday or, oh, it's at Joe Louis arena or, oh, it's at this particular place. I don't you're, score on but, Tuesdays either. It's, right. I, I totally, I totally understand Zadina's problem. <laughs> so you, like once you have all of those, all of those notions of, of this is what shots that look like this, but where we don't pay attention to the name of the person shooting the puck or the name of the person trying to save the puck. So like, I, I sometimes tell people, this is kind of like what you would get if you watched the game as carefully as you could, but you took your glasses off. So you can't see that that's Ovechkin taking that shot or that's whoever taking that other shot or that it's, you know, Andre Pavlik in goal versus Vasilevsky in goal or whatever. And so you you have this idea of this is a league average shooter and a league average goalie. So you kind of imagine that it's all of the shooters possible in the league taking the shot. And then after that, you could say, aha, what if I added that extra little piece of information? Now I do know that it's, you know, Dylan Larkin shooting instead of somebody else. Now what do I expect? You know, does my expectation of the goal go down because I know that that guy can't shoot straight? Or does it go up because I know he's a sniper? So... Philip Zadina's, for, just for context for everyone listening, his expected, uh, well, his likelihood of a goal relative to league expected is minus 4%. So does that mean relative to the rest of the league, he's 4% worse if you yeah, add basically. up all the shots? 
it's the the units are a little bit awkward because you're dealing with probabilities directly. So the units there are actually odds. So you know if you gave right you know, like tip, typical odds for a uh, an ordinary NHL shot, unblocked shot, are like the nineteen to one or so. And so so there, there's that odds are nineteen. And so Zadina being four percent less is meaning four percent longer odds on a shot. Right. And so that's, you know, odds are these things that are like people sometimes just say odds when they mean probabilities, but actual odds like racetrack stuff is, is not very intuitive to a lot of people. And, and the other thing too, of course, is that you kind of have to get a handle too on, on how much variance there is in the league. And one of the things that new fans especially are always a little bit surprised to discover is that there's a fair bit less variance in the league than they, than they intuitively expect that, you know, you might say, like, you could isolate the guy with the worst shot in the league, statistically, and I don't know off the top of my head who that is. I think that's a disease to, like, let your brain think like that. But, you know, whoever it is, they're probably a tremendous shooter who could light you up in a beer league game any day of the week. And, you know, to say nothing of people like Ovechkin at the top of the scale, who are, you know, who are still only shortening their goal odds by, like, 10, 11, 12%. You know, no one is is scoring twice as often. Like those kinds of, of variances are just unheard of. So the, the, the big stories in Detroit this year have quite obviously been Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. You know, the impact that they've been able to come and have um, on the ice has been apparent to even the most casual viewers. What do those impacts look like in terms of how they shape the model and how big of a role did they have to play in that, you know, 24% differential we talked about earlier? Well, the, the one who really strikes me as impressive um, statistically is Lucas Raymond, who the, I mean, the, the two players he's playing with um, Larkin and Bertuzzi are no slouches. And, but we've seen, you know, for years now, we've seen what those two can do. They, they're, I mean, they're young still, but they're known commodities of a type. And, and now all of a sudden with Raymond, they're massively energized and, and a lot of that is Raymond personally is what he does with the puck, but of, but part of it is what he's doing without the puck as well. And and specifically, it's not just that he's generating a lot of offense, but that he's generating a lot of offense very close to the net. And, you know, which is easier said than done. Everybody knows that it's great and everybody talks about how much they want it, but hardly anybody actually accomplishes it. And, and Raymond and his ability not necessarily to personally be in front of the net although he does that a little bit too but to make sure that the play gets to the front of the net is something that i've been you know i, I i'm sure it's easy to say well you know he's the the youngest of the three by an enormous distance and so the others you know must be driving him and it's more common to see that pattern where a rookie a real hot shot you know literally with a hot shot who can finish off what other people are creating but i think Raymond specifically is actually the driving force on that line. I think he's the thing. He is the what's creating a lot of that offense. And part of why I think so is that you don't see that offense from his line mates in previous years. You know, you see this huge jump that I think is hard to explain, um, except that it's Raymond personally driving it. Which is not to so, take anything away from Moritz Sider, incidentally. <laughs> right. And so um, I think I did this last time too. Uh, I'm going to ask you to say and, and to do something completely unscientific, and I'm sure that <laughs> it exists <laughs> sure. completely without models. But um, do you think the Red Wings at fourth overall snagged a potential superstar here just based on what you've seen Lucas Raymond do? 
I, I mean, it's so difficult to say because, for instance, you know, we've seen in different skill set and different impact, but we've seen guys like Patrick Laine, you know, come into the league who, and there was a time in Laine's early career where he looked like he might be, it was consistent to say that he might be the best shooter the league had ever seen. And, and people said, oh, you know, well, it can't last. He's going to regress. And people were saying, nerds were saying, well, you know, even if he regresses, his start is so good that he could regress, you know, some staggering quantity and still be the best shooter the league has ever seen. And of course, the answer turned, in that case turned out to be somewhere in the middle. You know, he's still a tremendous shooter. And, but like, you know, greatest league has ever seen conversations are now correctly regarded as silly. So, but like in terms of, of like, could Raymond be like, a generational or almost generational player, you know, that's the sort of thing that at this point you can't rule out. Whereas with most people, even picks that are that high, once you see a few hundred minutes, like we've seen from Raymond, you can say, well, you know, he's good, but he's not superstar good. And, and there with Raymond, I think it's the flatteringest, non-obviously false thing you can say is that, you know, he really might be. Jumping back to more insider here, um, a line I spout probably far too often on the podcast is that uh, you really need to give most defensemen a few seasons, almost two, two and a half seasons to um, to really get a hang for the game and to think the game the way you need an NHL defenseman to do to play 20 minutes a night. And for me, what's been most impressive is that he's already coming in with that expertise in my mind. Um, do you find that that mantra holds true for young defensemen in their development uh and how does that apply to cider in this case do you think i'm actually working on a, a dev project right now and it's too early to to have any real returns but one of the things that i'm seeing just in my own work and so again this is unscientific i haven't really like gone through the put it through its paces yet is that a lot of young players have the impact that they have sooner than people realize and defenders, I think that the conventional wisdom that you articulated, I think is partly true, but also partly a product of the way coaches view the league. And, and because they believe that that extra time is required, they don't give those extra minutes to those young players because they assume that they could not possibly succeed in them. And so they'll permit them to succeed in smaller minutes very cautiously. And so on the one hand, I, I, I sort of can't help but approve, to, you know, the cautious sort of approach. But I think increasingly coaches are realizing that some players are coming more or less fully formed. And even if not fully formed, once you take a sober look at the quality you're actually rolling out for 20, 22 minutes a game, you know, however old those players might be, once you have a, a critical look at that, then it's easier to say, well, actually, this player, he, you know, Cider is, is, this is his age 20 season. You know, he's not that old, but he, in fact, what flaws he has do not appear to be significant compared to the people who I might play him with. And considering that he's young enough that he could possibly still improve, now the upside calculation makes it so much easier to play him more. And Cider has been, um, especially defensively, he's been quite strong. He's playing 22 minutes a game already. So he's clearly, you know, he's clearly earned a certain amount of trust. And part of that, of course, is playing on a team where the, the competition is not as strong. But it's very easy to look at a player and say, well, you know, we like that guy, he's a vet, he's been good for us, when actually he's just been okay for you, and your younger players are already just okay, and maybe even a lot better. And so there I think a riskier approach is is actually the one that pays off better for the team more consistently. 
So I guess the last question for you here is, you know, we've, we've touched on a few really interesting topics uh, regarding the world of hockey analytics, but of course, um, 30 minutes is not quite enough to cover all of it, um, as is evidenced by your life's work. Um, so what advice do you have to, uh, for people listening to this podcast who want to give uh, their understanding of hockey, of hockey, you know, a broader view, um, but don't necessarily want to get in the weeds and in the muck? How should they watch and observe the game and, and what uh, analytics and you mentioned before with with shots and things like that should they give credence to? I think the number one attitude to cultivate is uh, a realization that what you're being told is almost always relevant, but it's not always correctly framed. And one of the like one of the sort of motivations that I had, when I was making the site, when I was trying to flesh it out to, to make it into the comprehensive thing that I wanted to do is that I would listen to commentators while I was watching games. And every time they would say something that sounded like an empirically verifiable fact, I would say, I wonder if that's actually true. And so people would say things like, ah, you know, you need to have a defensive, you need to have a faceoff specialist on your fourth line. And I'd say, do you? And I would like start working out who are the guys down at that minute level, you know, which ones of them are good at face-offs, which ones of them are not. Do you need to have this? Can you like, can you evaluate what you're being told? And even if you're a complete neophyte to the whole subject, you can still cultivate that attitude and you can still say, well, I don't know if that's true. So I'm going to try to find out. And then you say, well, what, what would I need to know? What kind of pieces of information would I need to put together to be able to evaluate those claims instead of just trusting that the people who are, have jobs, the people who already have positions of influence, you know, people who are talking where I can't avoid them. Like commentators are just one great example. And of course, most commentators are constantly saying extremely smart things. But every now and again, you'll find that they're saying complete nonsense. And now you have a little edge, a little window that you can pry open. And of course, the point is not to, to denigrate the announcers. The point is just that once you have an in, once you have an angle, you have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of, of pearl that you can accrete more knowledge around because now you have a pathway. You're not just staring in the middle of the woods going, I don't know. I want to learn more, but I don't know what. And of course, naturally, the things that you listen to that that strike you as weird are things that you already have a little germ of an idea of your own about, or else they wouldn't have struck you as unusual. You wouldn't have thought to yourself, oh, I wonder if that's true, if you didn't secretly wonder already that maybe it might be false. And that gives you the motivation and the specificity. You know, for you, it'll be one thing for her, it'll be another thing for him, it'll be a third thing again, where you look at a specific thing and you think, I wonder if that's really true. And now you have your own itch and you can go to try to scratch it. And frequently, you'll find, I mean, my website is only one example, but there's also a ton of people doing a lot of good work in, you know, not necessarily in NHL hockey, but in, you know, PHF and the women's hockey and international hockey and the German leagues and all sorts of other places. You know, you'll find people if you reach out, and this is part of why Twitter is where I do so much of my work and also why it's so much fun, is that it doesn't take too long to find the information you need Sometimes every now and again, you're frustrated. You say, well, you know, too bad. Nobody knows this. Nobody writes that down, which means anybody can just run their mouth about whatever they want. But often you'll say, ah, there, this person knows that thing. That content was exactly right. It's precisely right. You know, and that, that gives you a satisfaction that you're on the right path. All right. Well, uh, seeing as a, a team has inexplicably not hired you for your open offer of being the don't do that guy yet, um, 
we still have the opportunity to plug hockey viz here so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, how they can get uh, subscribed and involved in hockey viz uh, and i know you have two different subscription levels so you can probably speak to that better than i can sure i, I like to think of the website as having sort of three levels the the one level is just completely free where uh, a big chunk of it is is um, open to everyone um, a lot of the simplest and easiest stuff to understand and there are plenty of people who will uh, who will go to the site today or another day and will be content with what they find in the free sections and just think, ah, this is simple and easy and I like it. Uh, those people are extremely welcome. You know, every now and again, I get anxious emails saying, you know, I've used your website for years, but I don't subscribe. Does that make me a bad person? And I always tell these people that it's fine, that, uh, you know, they'll, the itch will get them eventually. And, but then if you want, you can, you can subscribe. There's basic subscriptions, which give you access to some interactive tools, like how are goaltenders doing this year? How are shooters doing this year? Who's, who's doing well relative to what you'd expect and who's doing poorly. Um, a lot more detailed sort of journalistic kinds of tools where you want to dig in and say, well, who's, who is playing with that guy? And what happens when he plays with that guy? Well, what happens when he plays without that guy? And so you can like tweak, tweak, tweak and see these are the shots that the Red Wings get with this guy, but without that guy. And then you see, aha, those are all offensive zone shifts. That's why it come out so well. Ah, but what about those guys? Oh, those are all defensive zones. So if you really want to like dig into stuff, those tools cost $5 a year. I'm sorry, $5 a month. The, uh, you can subscribe straight on the website. Anytime you see something, um, I mean, the paywall works in a normal way. If you try to load something up that you're not supposed to get, it'll say, please pay for this. And then you can just edit your credit card and there it is. And then there's also the fancier subscription, which is much less popular, but uh, includes more money for me, which I like for that reason. And uh, that gives you live stuff where you can look at games, um, charts for games while they're happening. And so for the real hardcore types who don't like to wait, that's a, a popular choice. And so the website is called hockeyviz.com, uh, viz.com. And uh, it's so-called just because it's almost all pictures. The one thing you won't get is, uh, is a lot of numbers. I don't like them. <laughs> well, uh, Micah, we really, really appreciate it. Um, let's not wait a few years to do this uh, again. But uh, until we have you back on the show, folks, uh, check out HockeyViz.com. That's HockeyViz.com. Uh, and uh, follow Micah McCurdy on Twitter, at IneffectiveMath. Uh, Micah, cheers. And until next time. Thank you very much. I'm always glad to be here. All right. Welcome back. That was our interview with Micah McCurdy of Hockey Viz. Um, all right. We have on the docket for the Red Wings two games this week. One on Wednesday against St. Louis, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at home. And on Saturday, the 27th against Buffalo, 7 p.m. Uh, also at home. Uh, and then the week after is three more that you have uh, Boston, on the road on the 30th, Seattle on the first at home. So that's their first time playing the Kraken, very historic. And then Saturday against the New York Islanders. So the schedule does get a little bit lighter. So what we want to see here out of the Red Wings is a rest, a recharge, heal anything that's been nagging, figure it out. Don't show up like you did against Vegas and, and Arizona. That Vegas game, there was like, a second of hope there where I was like, Hey, maybe they'll get back in this. And then it was just, Nope, no, they, they buried it in the third. They at least had a good first period. <sighs> Got to take the small victories where we can get them. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And it's funny because I, I was like, you know, the, the Red Wings have had Vegas's number, I think a little bit more than other teams did, especially to start. Um, we got a Joe Valeno goal out of it, 
which was great. Uh, we got a Giovanni Smith goal out of it, which was great. But other than that, yeah, we're not going to rehash. Yeah, it was a bad. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we jump into overtime here, we're going to do a little bit of a segment. It's been a little while, and our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook uh, are sponsoring this segment where we don't have a name for it, but uh, we're going to talk about betting odds and what we would do and then give you advice uh, by <laughs> by virtue of just don't do what we do and you're sure to win more Pretty money. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So I have some betting odds here up for awards. Sorry, not awards, like division winners and things like that from FanDuel. And I want us to talk about who we would pick in each division. Conference futures. Eastern Conference champion for this season. The worst odds that I'm seeing here are not the Red Wings, who are at a plus 48. Uh, it's a tie between the Ottawa Senators and the Buffalo Savers at plus 700. But you can get a plus 490 bet for the Florida Panthers right now for conference winners. You can get a plus 460 for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Toronto sitting at plus 750, and they've been hotter of late. Boston's a plus 850, but they've obviously not been too great to start. What team are you pegging here to to kind of be good money? Am I saying that the current division leader or conference leaders are plus 700 based on points percentage? Are the Carolina – oh, my God. Yeah, they are plus 700. They Smack – yeah, that's the one. But the, uh, the actively best team in the conference is plus 700. Why is Carolina always so slept on? Yeah, because by points percentage, they have Florida beat. They ha- they're at an 875 compared to Florida's 806. I mean, either of them are a good bet, but Florida's giving you a plus 490 value and Carolina's plus 700. That's not bad at all. Oh, yeah. Alex Barkov's also out week yep. to week right now. Week to week's bad. Week to week in hockey is like, you're never going to see this guy again. (laughs) It's miserable to think about. Um, Yeah, and if you think about it, you know, plus 700 for Carolina, who's leading the division in points percentage, and Toronto is plus 750, so not that much more value, but they're at a .658 points percentage. So Toronto's also a good bet, though. They started really slow, and they've been on a heater. They are, but they're the value for that bet's not as great i'm going to carolina i think you're yeah right. no that's that's my first one but toronto's not terrible yeah yeah no I, I don't think they are you don't give any credence to any i, I i'm i wouldn't put any money on um anyone in like the really unlikely range like once you get to like the new jersey plus 3100 that's just no no stay away from that's that one crazy yeah i don't think that's the the Eastern Conference is pretty well decided in terms of... Why did I not see the Islanders on that last page? Plus 1,000. It's not bad. I think that's generous. It's not bad. How do you Where's how do you not put money... If someone's giving you those kinds of odds, you've got to throw money down, right? Yeah, put a 20. Put a tenner down, tenor down, down on that. All right, Western Conference. Colorado is the odds-on favorite at plus 300. And Arizona's coming in at a cool plus six six thousand, which I (laughs) I think I need more than plus six thousand to burn that money for Arizona. But plus three hundred for Colorado, plus five hundred for Vegas, plus six fifty for Edmonton. You got Minnesota at eight fifty, St. Louis at eleven hundred, Calgary at eleven hundred. Calgary at eleven hundred is great value the way they've been playing. Where is Calgary at in the Western Conference? Oh yeah, they're second in terms of points percentage. They're second in the Western Conference standings, six ninety four, only behind Edmonton, seven sixty five. 
the Edmonton Oilers who lost to the Detroit Red Wings who lost to the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Nothing makes sense in the NHL. <laughs> this is all made up. Yeah. Uh, if you really want to get weird, this is not a good bet to make. But if you really, really want to go out there on the odds, uh, one of the teams in the NHL is reading this today with one of the best expected goals percentages, but is that is absolutely getting sewered by goaltending right now. Seattle. Yeah, Grubauer been bad. He's been like their goaltending is the literal only reason they are as tragically bad as they are, and they're like what plus four thousand or something like that. If you can find a good betting line for them to make the playoffs, that might be worth it. Yeah, because Grubauer's historically been good. He's not going to be an eight fifty goalie the rest of the year. Um, Some goalies take time though. Oh yeah, it's up, but. Like you look at all everything under the hood with Seattle this year, they've been good. Just literally every shot is go against them is going in the net. <laughs> they are fourteen points out of a playoff spot. Uh, I mean, it's still they're they're seventeen games into the season. It's still early yeah. on, but yeah, uh, getting it's, close. That, that's what I mean, though. Like it's they their odds to whatever like to win the conference are insane, but like to make the playoffs is probably going to be a really good payout. Still, <laughs> all right. Um, in terms of cup champ, very quickly, we'll look at this one. The odds on favorite for cup champ is still Colorado and then Tampa Bay floating right behind them and then Florida behind them. Carolina plus 1400s. I would sprinkle a little bit of money on that. Yeah. I don't hate that one. I think it's different when you get to the playoffs. Winning a division is one thing. Winning 16 games in the playoffs is nothing makes sense at all anymore. But that's one that I would think about. So, again, just what I like relative to the odds here. There's a team that's actually stringing together a really, really, really strong season without their star number one center. Washington at plus 1,800 when they're already dominating without Nicholas Backstrom. (laughs) That's not bad. That is not bad. Their goaltending is the only thing that scares me. So... We'll give you a little bit more uh, in future episodes in terms of betting odds, but I want to hear what you guys have put money on. We have some pro bettors I know who are listening and people who are just starting out. So if you have bets on for things like division winners, conference winners, Calder Trophy, I've seen a lot of people put money on Raymond Insider at the start of the year, which is looking like good money right now. Um, Let us know what you're doing. Uh, In the meantime... Thank you so much, FanDuel Sportsbook, for sponsoring this segment. Uh, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. And be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know we sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IN in Indiana. 800 Gambler in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, boys. Overtime? Yeah. Either one of you yes. got to wake up. Yes, Good. let us do it. Good Lord. All right. Uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to start out with some comments from our Patreon supporters. And if you're thinking, hey, overtime is shorter than it used to be. It is. We changed overtime. So if you are a patron, go check out those uh, changes. We made it made it in an announcement not too long ago, but um, we are we restructured the show a little bit to help with with quality and to make sure Brad talks less. 
Large, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, are we riding, as we're riding a downward spiral, are we starting to question the coach again? I think he'll be here for the season, but he can't live forever on not having a great team to work with. Blashill's Kurt is being carried by the first line and Cider and Letty. When they are misfiring, it's all the same mistakes resurfacing again. It's ugly hockey. Have you seen the volcano that is Ricard Gronberg? That's the passion we need. I want Ricard Gronberg on this team just for his like A plus Bond villain look that he's got going on. His uh, while he was gesturing for that other coach to come over and he's like, come here with his like kind of crazy eyes. I was like, oh, he will tear you limb from limb. Yeah, That's I don't know who the other coach was, but I was sitting there going, "Don't do it." Yeah, it's don't a do trap. It. <laughs> um, I I'm still very firmly in the okay. Now that Blashell is a good team, I've seen enough improve or enough change where it's like, yeah, those concerns before actually did fall in the territory of he just didn't have a team to work with. Uh, I'm not sounding alarm bells yet. I'm not screaming fire Blashill. We just got to the end of a really shitty stretch of hockey in terms of games played on a road trip let's see where we're at where where we're at halfway through the season i like what he's done with cider and i liked what he's done with raymond so that's those are the two most important things for me Mm -hmm. he's he's brought heronic back into playing good hockey that's important to me zadina other than not being able to finish is otherwise playing good complete hockey and that's important to me so i'm not calling for him to go yet not now but soon you think so if it doesn't get better, it has to. Well, I'm like I said, for all the reasons we laid out earlier, I'm not going to say this stretch is entirely on him. But for the reasons we laid out earlier, a good chunk of this stretch is on him. He adapted at the beginning of the year. And when things were going well and we were praising him, I said, yeah, it's easy to be good when things are going well. I want to see what happens when the chips are down. The chips are down. Hasn't been great. Now that he's got some time to, you know, uh, a week with only two games, so lots of time to make adjustments, game plan, yada, yada, yada. If the Red Wings come out in the next couple games and look like they're doing a lot more of what they were doing early in the season and not what they've been doing for the last three weeks, okay. I'm, I'm content. If they continue to pull the same garbage they've been pulling for the last four games, then yeah, that's an indictment on them. Okay. Uh, next question here is from Aaron Walkowiak says, uh, Bert is obviously the most excited player on the ice normally, but with the losses stringing together, who is the most upset on the ice? I feel like there's a noticeable frustration building up in Zadina, Rasmussen, and even Nemesnikov. And who's most likely to break through the rough? Larkin and Larkin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that dude hates losing more than anyone I've ever watched. He's livid. Although... He's been great, obviously. I don't think he's has a rough to break through. Who's most likely to break through the rough? I still got to go Zadina here. It's the the team has to work with him on confidence and the finishing ability because it's there. Micah had, a, had mentioned it a little bit in the interview. Like we saw a peak where it's like this guy is like a good goal scorer, and all of a sudden he just fell off a cliff. And that same as we say with goalies, that talent doesn't just go away. It doesn't just disappear. And especially because he's so young, you're like, well, you haven't aged out of it. So they need to work on bringing it back out of him and find a way to have it stick consistently. Um, Arjun Shanker says, will Joe Valeno wear a home jersey this season? <laughs> well, how will Steve Eisenman drive him? Yeah, for hours he just wants to bond with him. Game. That's why. 
Stevie's just a big Joe Valeno fan. He's getting fitness tips. He saw the pictures of Swole Valeno in the offseason. He was like, all right, I got to figure this out. He dictates to his notes app. He's like, four reps at 55 pounds. <laughs> um, next question here is from Brad's Anger Manifested. So now that, the, now that the hot start has faded and we've come back to being the team as expected, uh, what's the real expectation for the Red Wings? Do they trade Bertuzzi and plug in Verona in February? Uh, and do we sacrifice um, a goat to get Zadina to start scoring? Maybe if we if he just started taping a stick. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> God, I'm kidding. The... The trade talk, I don't think, is dependent on how the team performs this season. I think that an overperforming Red Wings is still not a playoff team, in essence. So, it really just depends on if the right offer is coming in. Verona is going to plug into the top six, though. So, I don't know. At this point, it's it's Zadina being moved down, unless he figures it out. I would still argue Zadina has been the best player on that line. Because none of them are finishing at a super high rate. We'll also see. I think Robbie Fabry has had stretches way better. There's been peaks. Also, when Verano comes back, you think they're not playing him with Zadina? You saw how last season ended. Yeah, that's a really good point. But that was with Larkin as center, right? Not every game. Not every game. Yeah, you're right. No, he he, Almost most of the games because Larkin. Larkin got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. I, I don't think the trade conversation changes depends on where they're at in the standings. I really just they need to get get through November, get through December before you start making conclusions about overall trends. Uh, AJ Voss says, "What do you think was the biggest factor in Blashill's uh, seemingly changed philosophy with prospect development this year?" It's no secret he's using and being more patient with Raymond Insider than past prospects. So what's the difference? They're a lot better. Yeah, that's the simple <laughs> answer, right? Like they're really damn good at hockey, and so they've—they I don't want to say they force his hand. I don't think at any point he tried to move him down, and that's why he gets credit in my mind. But it doesn't take a, a hockey genius to see how much better they are than not just other rookies, most other people on the ice. So Blashell probably went, "Oh shit, finally, <laughs> guys who can play." Good lord! Like I don't hate. Um, I'm not mad about Valeno not being up more. I think he's not a guy who's going to come in and light the world on fire. He needs to be eased into it. And you very obviously can see that that's not the case with Raymond Insider. I think his deployment of those rookies makes sense. And do you think the GM change had anything to do with it? Nah, I, I don't think. I'm sure like, the Cider thing was an automatic I'm sure they had a million conversations about Lucas Raymond, but if at the end of the day, you know, Jeff Blaschel decided he wanted to send Lucas Raymond down to start the year, I'm not sure Eisman would have vetoed it. But that obviously wasn't the case because Lucas Raymond played his way onto this team. And to Blaschel's credit, he always says, if they earn their spot, they'll play. And he did. Very, very convincingly. Um, okay. We are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Just want to recognize Winger Dinger on uh, Reddit. You had a question as well, or a comment as well. Um, we'll get back to taking more Reddit and Twitter comments in the future. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you to our uh, sponsors, the FanDuel Sportsbook. And also, most importantly, thank you to our listeners and you, the Patreon supporters. Our name level sponsors on Patreon, uh, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, 
Taylor Tadgell, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Fluey McShuey, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greach, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Safe Fresh Cheese Bags, Shay Lobsinger's number one Stan, Stacy Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad DeFour9, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stahl, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Michael Alsante, Revy DeLuca, Shitten Bricklets, Terry Actual, Trevor Pepevar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. We'll see you midweek, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.